The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell, or hold recommendation for any particular security. Welcome to 91's 2024 Investment Views. In this series of conversations, our investment professionals and portfolio managers will explore their views for the year ahead and assess the outlook for their asset classes and regions. Hi, my name is Ben Horsell, and I'm the Head of Investment Marketing at 91. And today we are talking to Nazmira Miller, our Chief Sustainability Officer, and we're going to look at what is foremost on her mind as we cast our thoughts forward to 2024. Nazmira, welcome. I thought before we go and look ahead to 2024, we've had quite a difficult global macro backdrop in 2023 and for the years before. Perhaps you could help us think about areas where we actually have seen tangible progress in 2023, and it would just nice to see where, where that is really taking place. Hi, Ben. Let's start with something quite specific. So we're looking for areas to be hopeful. Um, 91's business is um, globally based, but prim- primary offices are in London and Cape Town. And we know for a long time, our um, average carbon footprint of an employee in Cape Town is three times that of an employee in London for us. So we've been, we spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to overcome this, given the fact that um, the main obstacle is the massive dependence on coal by the South African electricity utility ESCO. And um, we've been working with the municipality of Cape Town um, over the course of the last year. And a few weeks ago, we became the first company in South Africa to um, enter into a virtual power purchase agreement across a municipal grid, which is a big step. We are carving the way for many others to do the same thing. So just um, just for those who aren't overly familiar with a, a virtual uh, power agreement, um, just, just help us understand what that, what that entails. So in our case, our landlord um, also owns a shopping center about 10 kilometers down the road. And what they've done is they have added extra panels onto that shopping center. um, And we are paying for the extra power that is generated um, as a result of that. So we are using power equivalent to the amount now um, being put onto the grid 10 kilometers down the road. And the municipality has now developed the regulatory framework to allow that to happen for us to use their grid. And why this is so important, Ben, is um, despite South Africa's fantastic uh, renewable resource, solar resource, the penetration of rooftop solar is actually super low. So what we're hoping is that by catalyzing this development, we are not only lowering our own carbon footprint, but also um, encouraging many other companies um, in Cape Town and hopefully the broader country to do the same. I think that is a really exciting prospect, Asmira. And let's just stay on 2023 for a little bit longer. Um, we've got COP28 coming up in the Emirates. And uh, last year, you were in Egypt. The main feedback from those uh, that were on the ground in, in Egypt was that um, during COP27, 
emerging market companies were starting to move ahead. And in fact, they were putting together some pretty tangible plans um, and even getting ahead of their governments in terms of what, um, you know, what, what their transition efforts were looking like. Have you, have you seen that progress continue over the last 12 months, let's say? The short answer is yes. So um, let's use India as an example. India retains its 2017 net zero target. Um, however, they also have a um, generation target. So generation capacity from non-fossil fuels, they're targeting 500 gigawatts in 2030. That's up from 150 gigawatts currently to massive increase. And the bulk of that is going to be built by the private sector. And we're seeing companies in India step in to produce that. If we look at um, the energy transition across EM, there are many companies that are switching their power procurement from fossil fuels into renewables. Um, in South Africa, Anglo-American um, has entered into an agreement with EDF to build out three to five gigawatts of renewable energy. Um, so we're seeing this continue um, through the course of this year. And as Mira. Let's stay on net zero for just a little bit longer. Uh, since the Paris Agreement in 2015, it's probably fair to say uh, asset owners and asset managers, the whole industry, in fact, um, we've been on a fairly steep learning curve. And you'd expect that um, we'd have to adapt uh, as we learned more, I guess, uh, from, from that time. What are the main things we are learning at the moment? And uh, sort of what do you expect to, to take precedence in 2024? I think after Paris and as we started thinking about 2030 targets, one of the conclusions most people reached was that we needed the 7% per year decarbonization to happen. And we certainly need that to happen in industry across the board to meet the 2030 targets. But I think the main learning over the last few years is imposing that same target on the financial sector and on portfolios can actually have the opposite effect of what you're seeking because it's much easier to clean a portfolio to reduce emissions by just selling the dirty stuff than it is to engage with companies to actually reduce their emissions. So I think the role of the financial sector in net zero is evolving. And one of our um, areas of work this year, led by Daisy Stratfield and the sustainability team, has been what is the biggest contribution that an asset owner can have towards net zero in a universal portfolio. And there are two broad lessons. One is around engagement. And engagement is something that we are trying to get increasingly um, focused on around achieving real-world outcomes. So we've engaged with companies to develop plans. We're now holding them accountable to execute those plans. But the second is thematic allocation. The power of allocating to um, climate solutions through strategies like global environment or um, to emerging market transition is disproportionately higher than tilting a um, core global equity portfolio, for example. And understanding how both of these things can play a role in net zero, but where your biggest bang for buck, so to speak, is. Is, is something we spent quite a bit of time on. Uh, thanks, Nazmira. And, and those are 
very important topics that we'll be staying close to our clients with uh, during 2024. But we know sustainability is a bigger topic. I mean, our, our approach to net zero does take up a lot of bandwidth, but what are the other areas uh, around sustainability where we may see tangible progress in 2024 and, and clients should be thinking about? So I think there's a growing um, realization that um, while the energy transition offers an excellent opportunity to invest behind that tailwind and benefit from it, there are other areas of sustainability that offer this, uh, similar opportunities. And so we've spent a lot of this year um, in our sustainable equity team developing metrics around financial inclusion, digital inclusion, um, healthcare, um, even climate adaptation. Um, because we believe that these themes offer compelling investment opportunities over the medium term. And what we're finding is that in discussing this with clients around the world, it's, um, it's something that they're also grappling with, um, both from what are the areas that are going to create commercial opportunities, but also how do they measure it? Like what does measurement actually look like? Um, so that's been a big area of interest and big area of work for us. The other area that I think um, I would be remiss not to mention is um, there's been a lot of tangible progress on biodiversity this year. So we saw um, TNFD, Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, um, which is very related to TCFD, which was the carbon disclosure framework that came out a few years ago. Um, TNFD was published this year. Nature Action 100, which is collaborative engagement between asset owners and asset managers with the um, 100 companies that have the largest impact on biodiversity globally um, has also been launched. So that is a growing area of focus as well. So Nazbira, there's a lot for us to think about there. Perhaps what we could do next is think about what might get to the top of people's priority lists in 2024 that may not really have been there in the, in the last two to three years. So a little, little bit of a prediction um, for 2024. What do you think? So Ben, I'm going to put sovereigns on the table, which may be a bit surprising because sovereigns and sustainability are an area that people like talking about. It's just an area where there hasn't been that much done, mainly because people have filed it in the too hard. And I think we've seen projects like ASCOL continue to develop where they're trying to assess the risks and opportunities around sovereign transition risks. But what we've also seen in our um, emerging market debt sustainable strategy is that um, taking into account sovereign sustainability issues can have benefits in terms of the financial outcome. And I always think that the easiest way to achieve sustainable outcomes is when they align with the um, commercial imperatives and incentives. And um, what we're seeing is in the sovereign investing space, there's increasing evidence around this. So I would expect that to be a growing theme in 2024. That's been a really uh, interesting discussion, Nazmira, and thanks very much for your time. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. 
The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.